morning, church. Good morning. Let me give you a few things. First, I'll say welcome to all you guys watching online. I know we got a lot of visitors in the room, too. Welcome. It's an honor that you would come hang out with us today. I believe you'll um, find us to be a loving bunch. We're not a perfect bunch, but we serve a perfect God who helps us with grace and mercy. I want to give you a few things. Um, first, just kind of a reminder. I, we haven't mentioned it in a while. That um, if you like notes, if you're a note taker um, and you want a digitized version of your notes, um, if you use the Uversion app, if right now you'll just open it and then look and find the place that says events, and then through the wonder of technology, it will tell you, hey, you're sitting in Believer's Church, and you can just touch that, and you'll have all of the notes for the day, places to add notes, and then actually it tags all the announcements and all the information is there, as well as on our Church Center app. Um, you can get that info in both places, and that will get you uh, all the info you need. The other thing I want to just say I'm excited about is we're announcing today, Melanie did the, the One Step Connect, and that, uh, again, I missed her announcement, so we may be duplicating some of this, but that it's really our new revamp, what we used to call Growth Track. We really wanted to have a, have a way to help you go beyond membership. That I know churches have membership and other churches and maybe denominational churches, you have your membership letter at a place. We don't do the membership letters, but we really want you to go beyond just being a member, that you're in a home, that you're a part of what we do here. Melanie put it great. We were meeting in the office one day. She said, it's, it's like sometimes when you're a member, it's like showing up at a hotel and you know there's work to be done because it's got to be cleaned and, and beds made and all that prepared, but you know somebody else is going to do it. But when you show up at home, it's your home and you get to be a part of it and you get to take ownership in it. And we just want you to, we want this place to feel like no matter how big we get, that it's home. That you can walk in and you're, you're welcome. That's why the flag's out front. If you notice those on the way out, the big blue flags say welcome home. Because we want this place to be a home. And I'm excited to, to bring this to you. We're asking you if, you, if you haven't, if you've done all the previous growth track, you don't have to go through it. But if you've missed any of our step one or step two, um, we're just going to ask you to jump in this, come eat a meal with us. Or if you just want to come check it out, you're welcome to do that as well on the 23rd of next month. Um, all right, let's jump into our, uh, our series. We're doing the Beatitudes. And again, the Beatitudes is eight, nine statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Most people believe that the Sermon on the Mount was not one long sermon, but it was actually several days worth. And Jesus makes these statements that really he lived out and he expects us to live out, that the world... <clears throat> that they're really countercultural to what the world says, and they kind of go against it. So we're going to be on the fourth one today. If you've missed the previous ones, you can go online, and all the um, podcasts and live services um, are archived there. You can get them. But what we need to know is that Jesus, again, he lived it, but he also wants us to live it and express it. And the expression of what we learn in these Beatitudes is what shows people that there's more to life than what they think there is. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, for this week's Beatitude. And it says, blessed. Now remember, blessed really translates a joy that's not based on anything external. It's a joy that's internal that you can have even on your worst of days. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And it uses this word that when we hear it, a lot of times we think holier than thou. Because we, we say terms like, you're so self-righteous which is exactly what we try to do without Jesus. 
we try to figure out how to make ourselves somehow right. But Jesus says, y'all are getting it all wrong. There's something that you ought to hunger and thirst for, that you ought to say, I, I, there's something driven in you to get it, that this righteousness, and then it uses this word that they will be filled. And we'll get to that in a minute. But filled, filled with what? So this beatitude is really, I think it's kind of misunderstood because it's talking about being righteous. But then right away, just a few books later, Paul says in Romans this, as the scriptures say, he's pointing out, the Old Testament scriptures, no one is righteous. Not even one. There's other verses that say there's only one, one person to ever walk the earth that was truly righteous, of course, talking about Jesus. So this rightness, this righteousness is something built into us, built into us to go look for a solution to bring things in line to make things right we don't like things to be out of order out of balance and we naturally go looking for stuff sometimes you find it in alcohol and in drugs and in in relationships and other things but nothing works it's nothing that one version says in the, this beatitude that uses the word they'll be satisfied it's kind of like that uh that feeling you get have you ever walked into your fridge and opened your fridge if you're like ours it's a two door you open it up it's full. Fridge is packed. It's the beginning of the month. You just went and bought all your groceries. It's full. Nothing in there. You got everything you ever want, everything you like, because your wife loves you and she buys it for you. And that's why I'm shaped this way. And so, but you look at it and there's just, there's nothing there. There's nothing that, that, that uh, tickles that itch, that scratches that itch. I remember when Melanie was really pregnant with both our girls. She was odd in her pregnancy in that she never really had the pickles and peanut butter issues or the, like in the middle of the night, I got to have this. And so I, I thankfully didn't have to go through that. But it's, it's that the satisfaction is that there's only one thing that's going to answer that. I'll give you this to quote the great philosopher Bono. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some people say, I read an interview that he was really writing that because he, he is, at least last I heard, world changes, but he's a Christian and worth $700 million or more. U2 franchise is worth like $2 billion. You think if I had $2 billion, I'd have found what I was looking for, right? So as, as a pastor, though, it's, it's, to me, it's frustrating sometimes. I don't always have the answers, but there are some times when people come and they have an issue and want to talk about it that I, can, I know the answer. It's why I'm, a, I'm really not a great counselor. Because you come in, sit down, tell me your problem. I don't want to hear the rest of it. I just want to tell you the answer. My wife and wherever Lauren is, Lauren's, she's a great counselor. And they sit down and they talk and they want to talk about your feelings and all that stuff. I, I don't. I just want to give you the answer. But it's frustrating when, even with your children, you think about it, that they're asking your question and the answer is right there in front of them. Like, it's obvious. And we do that with God because we refuse God because maybe somebody else hurt them. Maybe somebody else, um, another church, wounded them. But there's a guy in the, in the Bible in the Old Testament named King Solomon. And King Solomon, the Bible says, was the smartest man that ever lived. He asked God for wisdom, and God said, I'm going to make you the wisest man on earth. But King 
Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs, and he writes this book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And it's not one everybody flips to when you go looking for your favorite verse. But it's this continual thing of, I think I'm happy, no I'm not. I think I found it, no I'm not. I think I'm good, no I'm not. And this is written by this man who not only was the smartest man in the world, but literally had anything and everything he wanted at his fingertips. And he says this in, in Ecclesiastes 1. He says, the greater, the greater my wisdom, the more problems I have. And then he says, to increase knowledge, it's just more trouble. So people go say, well, if I go get another degree, if I go get a, learn a new trade, if I do that, it'll fix my life. It'll make me satisfied. I'm hungry for that. And King Solomon just said, that that's, it didn't work. It, this must be the thing. More skill is what satisfies me. That'll fix it. Well, look what he says in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, now be warned of, of making many books. There is no end. And much study, this is for all you college kids, and much study wearies the body. He said, okay, well, if it's not a skill, then I'm going to go back and I'm going to study more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get more wisdom, more knowledge. Then Solomon goes through the stuff phase, the things phase. The, as we, I was laughing with telling Melanie the other day, hey, we're approaching deer season. It would make me happy to go buy a new rifle. Wouldn't it? Come on, guys, help, help a brother out. Y'all are no help. <laughs> but he's, you know, we all go through that phase, like new purses, new watches, new shoes, new... Like I laugh at my wife because she's, she's really thrifty and she, doesn't, she buys good deals, but you go walk into our closet and you're going to trip over her shoes. They're just everywhere. But I know that Solomon says this. Solomon says, hey, vacations, new toys, houses, cars, trucks. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But the problem is it doesn't satisfy me. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. This is like the lotto spending spree. We just won $2 billion and we're going shopping. And you can literally go to any store on earth. We could stop on our way in the mall down in Savannah and then just hop over to Gulfstream and go, hey, I like that one. I want that jet. Literally, that's what he was talking about because he could literally do that because he was also the wealthiest human alive. He said, I refuse my heart no pleasure. I think this will make my heart feel better. It'll bring me joy. It says, my heart took delight in all my labor, and this is all I get for it? It didn't, it didn't change anything. Anything I want is fun, but I still feel empty. Then he says, okay, well, maybe it's I need to work more. I need to work harder. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says this. He said, so I hated life because all the work that was done under the sun was just brought me grief. And it's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Well, now work didn't do it. Well, if it's not more work, then what is it? Look in verse 18. He says, I hated all these things I had toiled for under the sun because when I do get them, let me put this in my translation for you. There's always going to be a child that wants your stuff. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't leave it in your will to your kids and to your family, then the government's going to get it. So I'm going to go work, get all this stuff, and I must leave it to whoever comes after me. That's what he's saying. Well, if it's not more work, maybe it's more money. Maybe that will fulfill me. 
he says in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, whoever loves money just never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It doesn't bring me any, any meaning. And he goes through all this process of trying to figure out something that makes him righteous, that makes life peace for him, that makes him fulfilled. So let me ask you this. He goes on in the next verse and says, As goods increase, so do those who, what always comes? You get more stuff, what happens? Okay, let me put it this way. Y'all all get this. If one of you right now wins the lotto, how many more family members and friends will you have by the time you walk out this door? That's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, the great. I get more stuff, and there's just more people. They want more of my stuff. And then I can do nothing but look at it. I own the stuff, but it's doing me no good. It's not bringing me anything. So if it's not more knowledge, if it's not more stuff, not more hours, not more money, then what satisfies me? Maybe it's people. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just, I got to have all the right people around me. I got to have all my friends. I can't hang around those people that just bring their negative vibe. Maybe that's it. Well, look what Solomon the Bible says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Just to give you a little, little Old Testament lesson. That concub people see concubines and they think they were just the group that he was there to go sleep with. That's really not the way. It, this really translates 700 wives of royal birth. That means they came from a royal lineage. So he basically had a wife from every royal lineage in the known world. The 300 concubines were just good-looking women. They just weren't royal. So he had a thousand wives. Yeah. Let that sink in. Whew. There's all kinds of jokes there, but I'm just going to go right on by it. <laughs> it said, in fact, they did something to him. He had people around him. And the Bible actually says he had unlimited servants. He had all these wives. He had anyone, anything they wanted to to have relationships with, to, to satisfy him. And he said, all they did is turn his heart away from God. Then he goes back in Ecclesiastes 4 and says, but there was a man, and he was all alone. He had neither brother. There was no end to his work. Yet his money, his stuff, even though he's now he was by himself, it wasn't together, maybe it's apart. That didn't work either. But he goes on in verse 12 and says, hey, here's, he gets to the end of his life. And he says, this is the last and final word. Because we're all going to get to this place. You're all on a journey. Even if you say, well, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic, I really don't believe like you do. Great, because we're all going somewhere. It's just a matter of where. But Solomon gets to the end and says, this is the last word. Fear God and do what he tells you to do. See, fear God is not like, oof, I'm afraid, you know, you meet a, a big, bag, big bad man in a dark alley, like you see in a movie, and then I get, what, afraid. Or, you know, like you used to watch the, the scary movies and that thing would scare you. That's, fear, that's a different kind of fear. This is the kind of fear, and the Bible's talking about that it's to honor, revere, 
It literally translates to, to bow before, hold in high respect. You see, you have the opportunity, and today you have the opportunity to, to realize some things. Look what he says. He goes on in verse 14. He says, and that's eventually, you need to know this, God's going to bring everything out in the open, and he's going to judge it, and he's going to say it was good or evil. And this is the end of your life. But you need to figure this out now. Solomon's saying you're coming to a time, but you're going to have the opportunity, really today, honestly, to know God, to fear God, to hold him in reverence, to get closer to God by taking one step. And I think what Solomon would tell us, and even what Jesus will get to, he says you can find out today what makes you righteous and what fulfills you, or you can find out later when it's too late. Because you will get to a time when it's, and it's, it's not going to work. When that last breath goes, it's too late. And Solomon said, hey, I'm trying to figure all this out. And it really comes down to this. It really comes out to understanding that God has more on the table. We talked about it in our other Beatitudes. That we live life thinking, well, I've made it. God doesn't have anything else for me. And the Bible says, oh, no, no, he does. And it really comes down to this, this idea that you're either stagnant and stationary or you're taking one step. We're either becoming that, that pond in your you know, swamp in the front of your, maybe around here there's swamps everywhere, so maybe you have one around you and it just becomes green and grows over and becomes just nasty. That water's not moving, it's not flowing, it's not going anywhere. But taking one step is what we say here a lot, is that we're one step. We're taking one step from where we are to where God wants us to be. Sometimes it's a, it's a step of just showing up to church. Sometimes it's a step of, of finding faith and, and meeting Jesus. Sometimes it's a step as a Christian of maybe trusting God to take another step. But really, when it comes to God, you're one or the other. You're either stagnant or you're moving. Jesus was talking about this when we, re and we read that in Matthew 5.5. 5. Look what it says in Proverbs 21, 21. It says, whoever pursues righteousness and God's unfailing love will find them, find life, find righteousness, and find honor. You see, I want to give you some reasons now as we go. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why we don't find it. The reason we keep searching. The reason that it never seems to work. The first one is, I think God's space in our lives stays occupied. The Bible says of God, he's supposed to be at the top of our list. He, uh, we give our lives to him, yet most of us live, live our lives with God, maybe three. If we're honest, it comes down to four, five, six, seven. To give you a kind of a, a nerd term, I think the reason we don't find it is because our, our bandwidth Bandwidth is a term that in computer they use of a, a computer cable. You can only cram so much information into that cable. And we live our lives with so much stuff coming at us, there's just simply no room for God. There's simply no space to, to, to let him in. We never, I tell you what, I'll give you a good one. Whether you like it or not, like this restaurant or not, and most, some people do, some people don't. 
if you're a seafood person, most people, like really is true seafood people, don't go to Red Lobster, right? Good, but Red Lobster does have one redeeming value, cheddar biscuits. <laughs> the manna from heaven. I think that's what God fed the Jewish people. It fell out every, new every morning was cheddar biscuits. Now, if you've ever been to Red Lobster and they say, hey, you want us to bring out some cheddar biscuits? My brother, I punched him one time because he started to say no as a teenager. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm not coming out of the chair. Certainly we do. And when those are done, you keep bringing more. And when those are done, you just keep bringing more. But what happens when you eat all the cheddar biscuits? They bring your meal to you. Yeah, you take them home. Good answer. <laughs> They bring, them to, bring you your meal, and you're like, just bring me a to-go box. Why? Because you've got this mound of 300 cheddar biscuits in your gut that's ever-expanding. See, we do the same thing to God. We have, cram all this stuff into our lives and in our minds and in our hearts, and then God's like, hey, I got something for you. And you want it, but there's just nowhere to put it. There's, nothing, there's nowhere that can make it work. There is simply no space. It's, it's full. Look what Isaiah says this, and this is out of the New Century Version. It's number one I don't normally use, but it's a good one if you want to look it up. It says, why spend your money on something that's not real food? Why work for something that doesn't satisfy you? And then he's like, listen. Listen closely to me, and you're going to eat what's good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies the thing that satisfies as the bible tells us is the letting god in making space for him that we'll pursue that or pursue the righteousness and god fills us the other reason and we know there's more we know there's more to god but because of issues we don't really know who god is what issues this is really sad to me and I hope this is not any of you, but if it is, I believe God will heal you from it today. <clears throat> and that is, you know God. You're saved. But you don't really know how good He is. And the reason you don't is because maybe you came from a church where, I'm sorry to say, and if on behalf of pastors, if you went to another church and a pastor wounded you, you need to forgive because the devil will rob you. Or maybe you went to another church and, and they, they didn't treat you well or they maybe asked you to leave because you didn't fit their mold. Maybe somebody came, a Christian came at you thinking they were going to help you and telling you, wagging their finger, you need to get your life right. You need to stop doing this. And then you can come, come to the God that I serve. Well, the God that I serve doesn't wag his finger at me and he doesn't tell me to get rid of things. He tells me to bring all my crap and bring it with me and bring it and say, God, here it is. See, the problem is we operate in this thing called willful, willful ignorance. Well, I've been hurt. I've seen other people wounded, so I'm just going to keep it, God at bay. God, thank you for getting me to heaven. And then I'm going to go try to find the thing that brings me peace, that brings, makes me feel good and righteousness by doing something else. We keep God at arm's length. It's about the same logic as you go to the best restaurant in the world, the highest five-star, it's a free meal but then you get a waiter who's a jerk. And they bring your food to you, and you reject the food based on 
the waiter. Well, did the waiter make that food? No, the class, world-class chef in the back did. But we'll reject the food because that waiter was rude to us. We do the same thing to God. We reject God because maybe one of us is God's waiter, his servant. Somebody was rude to you, and therefore you just throw God out. You reject God. And we live in this willful ignorance of never really knowing how good God is. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord's good. And when you do, you're going to be blessed. When you do, good things happen. Paul writes it this way in the New Testament, in Ephesians. He says, hey, I want you to have power together with all of God's people so that you can grab a hold of this. You can grasp. And this is where you hear the songs and the kids sing, or how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love that was sent to you through Christ. And he says, and, and know this, that this love surpasses all this knowledge so that you can be filled the way God wants you to be filled. All the stuff Solomon thought he knew, all the information he thought he had, all the degrees he had, all the, the Bible says that people came from all over the world just to get some of his knowledge. All that stuff, the Bible says he wasn't filled in the way God wants to make us righteous and the fullness of God. That everything God has on the table for us, that you taste it, you jump in, come to the One Step Connect, get on a dream team, get in the grow group. Let me tell you this, I've said this before and I'm going to renew my contract. If you'll jump in, and this may be for some of those you guys who are new, jump in, sign up for One Step Connect, get on a dream team, get in a grow group. If you'll tithe, yes, he's talking about money now, if you'll tithe and give and be generous, and you do that for one year, and you come back next year in September, and you can look me in the eye and tell me that your life is not remarkably better, then you and I will go find another church together. Because if, if we can do all that God has for us and do it for a year and come back and I can't say anything's better in my life, then we are wasting our time. We need to go find somewhere else that believes that God can do that. And we do believe that here. But you have to, you have to get in. You can't just live in this ignorance of, I'm just going to wander through life and stuff, stuff will happen, some good, some bad. You're leaving so much on the table. Again, it's like going to that five-star restaurant and they bring, we're going to give you one sample of every meal that we make. And you take a swig of water and put it down and go and leave it on the table. We're leaving a lot more on the table that, of God's table that he has for us by not jumping in, by not moving closer, by not pursuing righteousness, by not tasting and seeing of what God is. So if righteousness fills us, and the only way we're made righteous is through Jesus, if it satisfies us, still begs the question, what is it? If I asked you, ran down to you with a microphone right now and put a microphone in your face and said, tell me what righteousness is. After you fell off, get up off the floor, because most of you would freak out if I actually did that. And said, put a camera in your face and said, tell me what righteousness is. Ready, go. Uh, um, uh, um. We don't really know. So I'm going to give you, we talked about why we don't have it in the space that gets filled, but I want to give you two 
two things that righteousness is. And I'm going to make it real simple. We're going to break it down to just two things. Righteousness is, simply put, right standing with God. That you are, your life lines up with Him. I am in right standing with God. Paul tells us something. He says in Romans 1, he said, This is good news that tells us how God makes us right, in our sight or His. Okay, read that again. In our sight or His. Yeah, it's not looking to see, well, I think I look right. We're trying to get right in His eyes. This is accomplished, and I love this line, from start to finish by what? Faith. And as the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a, a righteous person has life. Faith that Jesus is who He says He is, does what He said He'll do, came for us, died for us, rose again. Right standing with God is, is achieved through Him. If you don't believe that one, look at this in Romans chapter 3. So that people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his, his life and shed His blood. The Bible says there's only one way by which man can be saved, right? That right standing with God, one part of it is is Jesus, the application of what Jesus did for us over our lives. That righteousness comes through relationship with God, not through some religion. I've traveled, I was traveling some, and I, and I was sitting beside a guy on an airplane, and of course, if you've heard me tell this before, when you travel as a pastor, you really don't always want to tell people what you do, because you're either going to get fussed at because they hate the idea of you telling them what they need to do in their lives, or they just want to talk and you want to sleep and they want to have a counseling session. Hey, I'm just being honest. Sometimes you just tell them, "Hey, I'm in, I'm a, I'm in public speaking, or I, you know, I'm in motiv- I'm a motivational speaker." Yeah, that's it. Ushers, you can do your thing. But see. What I shock people when they ask what I do, and then we'll talk through it, and they say, well, I'm not real religious, and they make that face. For some reason, southern women really do that. I'm not real religious, and they make a face at you. And this guy, he said he did the, I'm not religious. And then he, he had ordered a drink, and the, waste, or the stewardess brought him a drink. And he said, I'm just not religious, you know, and he waves it. I'm like, so well, this is going to surprise you, but I'm not religious either. What do you think if I drink this? I think you overpaid for it, but whatever. <laughs> and I said, I'm not religious. He said, what are you? I said, well, at our church, we just teach that and truly believe that God just wants to have a relationship with you. Just like you do your family and friends, and you need to get closer to him. And you need to move your life in line with what he asks you to do. See, righteousness is not a church issue. It's not coming to church. You can come to One Step Connect, sign on the dotted line, join believers, and you're, if you're not saved, you're going to hell just like everybody else. It's not a getting a grow group issue. You can go and have a lot of friends and get to know a lot of people, but that doesn't make you saved. It's not coming to church. You can't just show people tell me all the time, well, I'm saved because I went to church with my grandma when I was 14. 
That just gives you and grandma a good memory. It doesn't do anything for your spiritual well-being. See, righteousness comes through the relationship with God. And the second thing. The second thing is, it's right standing with God, but righteousness is also, and here's where the work comes, it's right living on earth. It's following instructions. Anybody ever told their kids that? If you would just do what I told you to, you wouldn't be in this. If you'd have just been obedient, the teacher wouldn't be on the phone. Why did little Johnny poke Susie in the ear with a pencil? If you'd just done what I told you to, right? From a little, from tiny or early age. Yet we look at God the same way. He has to look at us and go, Really? Like, can you imagine? This is the way I think of it. Jesus sitting in heaven, like, Dad, check this out. I know if they had just done what you told them to. You can't do that. You can't jump off a building and expect to land and not break any bones. A teenager just did it. I know. Let's go, let's go heal him because we love them and they're just sheep or dumb. We do the same thing to God. You see, right life, righteousness, comes by just doing what he says. This is the frustrating, if you want to know part of my job that is frustrating, and I'll, I'll openly tell you this, this is it. People come, hey, help me with my marriage, help me with my kids, help me with my money, give me some wisdom what the Bible says. We give it to them. They come back two weeks later, well, how'd it go? Terrible, it's worse. Well, did you, did you pray? No. Did you read your Bible? No. Are you tithing? No. Did you say kind things to your wife? No. Did you say kind things to your kid? No. Did you stop this? Did you, you know, going through everything the Bible says? No, no, no. Well, no wonder it didn't work. Just do what he says. And see, we say that somebody who's in a relationship with God and God's saying, listen, I want you to come closer, and here's how you come closer. Matter of fact, the Bible says when you make the decisions that come one step to him, he comes infinite more to you. Because remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. This is the last and final word. Fear God. Do what he tells you to do. And I don't stand here as somebody says, I've got it all figured out, and I do what God tells me to do every time, because I don't. But the wonderful thing about it is that God says, when you find me, you find righteousness in Jesus. And when you find me, you also find a, a forgiver who says, just repent. And then do what I told you to do. You don't always have to, to get it right. Then look what Solomon says in the end of this verse. That's the whole story. Now here's my final conclusion. Again, just fear God. Obey his commands. But this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you this. Worship team, you guys can come. And I hope you hear my heart when I say this. Because there's some of you now, there's somebody, I don't know, maybe it was just me. Maybe sometimes when I pray for myself, it's because somebody's going to be here or online this morning that needs to hear this. And that's this. You don't have to keep looking. The answer's right here. The answer's on the table. 
God says, I sent my son to make you in right standing with me. He says, I sent my Holy Spirit to help you live the way I asked you to live on the earth. And when you do that, other people are going to see it, and they're going to want to know how you do it, and you're going to live out the expression of the Beatitudes. Somebody in this room, maybe online, again, you're searching, you're trying to figure out what it is. And just like your dad or your grandmother, son, it's right here on the table. Just eat this. I don't want to. I want to eat that. I like the cheddar biscuits. Stop eating the cheddar biscuits. Eat this. It sounds so simple. Yet why do we struggle with it? You don't have to keep looking. The Bible says, I've given you a way to be righteous. I've given you a way to live the way I asked you to live. Just do it. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, I tell you what, why don't you go ahead and stand? Now you can bow your head and close your eyes. There's somebody in the room, maybe several people in the room, who's like, Clint, if you're honest, and I'm not going to call you to the front, I'm just going to ask you to acknowledge it. Or online, maybe you're watching, I'm just going to ask you to acknowledge it. You're searching. You're looking for something to make me feel right, make my feelings feel right, make my happiness feel right, my joy feel right. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being what you mean. Everything that Solomon went through, you're searching. But you've not said, God, I'm going to take what you've given me off the table. I'm going to meet the Savior. And if that's you this morning, every help head is bowed, eyes are closed. I just want you to wave at me real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you anymore. There's a couple hands going. Two, three, four. I see them. Then this is what we pray. I want everybody to pray this together because this is salvation and this is returning to God and getting your life right all wrapped into one. Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you as my one, my only source of life my savior my redeemer and my friend thank you God for sending Jesus to pay for my mess thank you God that I can receive all that you have for me and today I choose to follow you in Jesus name and everybody said, amen. Now it's time to go do something. You've been given marching orders, and I promise you, when you learn to live this stuff out, these beatitudes, people will notice out there, and then the people that notice out there will be the people sitting beside you in here. They'll be the people that are filling the seats. They'll be the kids over next door who are being loved on and, and served and taken care of and filled with God's word we begin to change the city amen amen I'm going to bless you as we go and then we're going to sing one more time sing about the worthiness of God how good you are that God we ask you to give us that faith to take us to our next step give us the faith to trust you God I bless everyone within the sound of my voice watching online today wherever you may be later in the week God, that faith rises in us and you break down everything that's keeping us away from you. The walls are down. The chains are broken.
God, the fear of past hurt is gone. And God, I thank you that today, God, we not only have life, but we find abundant life, and we just can't keep our mouths closed about it. We're telling people out there who feel lost, hurt, and alone how to find that place of belonging, how to find that righteousness, that inner joy that never leaves. And God, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,